Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Every day in hospitals around the country, while one family is grieving a loss, another family is given news that offers hope. A possible organ donor match has been made. In California, more than 20,000 people are on the wait list for a kidney, liver, or other major organ. And this hour, we'll talk about how organ donation works, learn about a new law that aims to modernize the current system, and hear from organ transplant recipients. Have you or a family member received or donated an organ? Have you registered to be an organ donor? Why or why not? You can tell us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Nationwide, there are about 100,000 people on the organ transplant waiting list, and 20,000 of them are from California. Yet millions of Californians are willing to donate their organs. There are lots of reasons a relatively small number of organs are donated, from an organ's viability and a doctor's medical knowledge to problems with management of the organ transplant network, which has been described as inefficient and technologically outdated. But with the new federal law aimed at improving the system and reducing the number of people who die waiting for an organ, there is hope. I'm joined first by Dr. Harish Mahanti, Surgical Director of Kidney Transplant at Sutter Health. Dr. Mahanti, thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thank you so much. I'm wondering if you could just walk us through the very first steps in the organ transplant process, like what happens to someone's organs when they pass away, someone who, of course, has not specifically opted out of being an organ donor in California. So first, um, the hospital would meet, need to um, make a call to the donor network. Um, the donor network would then take over all the care of that patient. Uh, and then during that process, um, the organs would be allocated to um, patients on the transplant list. Um, any donor potentially could save uh, many lives. Um, seven organs can be uh, uh, allocated for transplantation. Um, and then after that, after the organs have been allocated, then it's the whole procurement process um, and then the transplant at the uh, uh, recovering centers. I did hear a stat that one person's organs could help potentially as many as 75 people. Is that right, Dr. Mahanti? Well, I think that uh, with organs, yes, uh, seven uh, organs can be transplanted, but there's also tissue donation that can definitely help many more people. Yeah. So what kinds of organs are typically the ones that are, or 
that you are allowed to donate. And then beyond that, some of the tissues, I understand, eyes, so on. Correct. So uh, the most common transplant in the United States and world, I would think, is kidney transplant, followed by liver and heart, um, then lungs, uh, pancreas transplant, small intestine transplant. And now there's more transplants with uh, composite grafts, such as face transplants, arms, hands. Um, All of these things are happening. um, And it's an exciting time. For because that. yeah, because you cannot predict when an organ will become available. What is it like for you as a surgeon? Are you basically on call for when an organ becomes available, like twenty four seven? Correct. So mm-hmm. we do take twenty four seven call um, at our center. We do seven days a week. Uh, it's a seven day call, um, and you're on for seven days straight um, in order to, you know, really take all the calls possible to help our patients. So what would you say is the biggest challenge or the hardest part of being a transplant surgeon? Is it this sort of not knowing when and then having to sort of rush into gear and make sure all the moving parts work? Yeah. um, You know, we would love to have a time where we would know when uh, the organs would be uh, or the donors would be ready to have a procurement take place. Um, But that's not necessarily the case. Um, And yeah, it would be great to be able to plan your 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 whole day but it it just is part of the uh process uh organs become available you need to be available to accept those organs so yeah so that's the best answer i can give <laughs> yeah and why is it hard to make a match why is it that relatively few organs get donated um there's several reasons uh, why that is um we try to strive. We we strive to um, use all organs because it's such a precious uh, gift, um, and there aren't enough organs for everybody. So we really try to utilize all of them. But sometimes the organs are the quality of the organs aren't um, uh, good enough for transplantation, and that's when they get discarded. And what would an organ that's not good enough be like? Um, So the function of the organ may not be up to par uh, to sustain life after it's been transplanted. Um, uh, Older donors, um, uh, older donors could potentially have organs that are not transplantable. um, But we actually look at older donors as well um, in order to find a match with a recipient that could take an older donor um, to sustain their life. Um, so we, we, we really strive to utilize all organs, but there's always, you know, issues uh, with organs that uh, would not allow them to be transplanted. Age is one of the things, but Damage to the organ from a trauma is another thing. Function of the uh, of the organ is, is obviously very important, um, and so those are the those are the usual uh, uh, reasons why we would not be able to take an organ. The other reason would be cold time or the time it takes to get the organ to the or, uh, transplant center, um, and sometimes that could be exorbitant, and that would also uh, lead to less than optimal outcomes. Yeah, I did hear that that's a really big limit, how quickly the organs deteriorate. How long, say, can a kidney last versus maybe a heart? 
Right. And that, that is a huge difference. Uh, so, uh, uh, a very young kidney um, with great function could last 36 hours um, before it needs to be implanted, but a heart about four to six hours. And you know that that is a very hard stop for a heart transplant. And in that time, you've got to do all the pre-op and all the, you know, the patient has to be ready and you have to be ready. <laughs> My goodness. Correct. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Harish Mahanti, Surgical Director of Kidney Transplant at Sutter Health. And I want to bring into the conversation now Lenny Bernstein, Washington Post reporter covering health and medicine. Lenny, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. So we've been hearing Dr. Mahanti break down the organ transplant sort of procedure for us and sort of the moving parts that are involved. I wonder if you can give us some background on the network, the organ donation system itself, who's in charge of it, how that functions, the, the matching. Sure. The, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, the uh, organ transplant network is run by a nonprofit agency called UNOS, the United Network for Organ Sharing. It has a contract with the federal government to do this. It is the only organization that has ever run the transplant system since 1986. The law that was passed in 1984 was passed with UNOS in mind. And UNOS does everything. It, from making policy, to running the technology, to overseeing uh, problems, troubleshooting. Um, and there are lots of moving parts, but the main ones to know about are UNOS, and then the 56 organ procurement organizations, they each have turf, little monopoly territories in which they pick up organs from donors. And then, of course, the transplant hospitals themselves, the OPOs are in charge of getting those organs to the transplant hospitals in the times that uh, Dr. Mahathi was talking about uh, in order for the transplants to occur. And, and as he mentioned, well over 80% of these are kidneys. Yeah. And uh, so my understanding is that there are sort of a handful of organ procurement organizations that cover California um, regionally. You know, interestingly, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said something like, everybody knows the system, the system related to organ procurement and transplantation has been broken for years with heartbreaking consequences. Why would she say that? Why is it broken? It's broken in a number of ways. Um, and I would like to say, uh, before I go into that, that uh, organ transplantation is a, a medical miracle. Um, it, I think over the last four decades, there have been a million transplants and there are, you know, th those are people and their families yeah. uh, who, uh, who are benefiting from this in ways that, you know, we couldn't even imagine in as recently as the 60s and 70s. But the system uh, has not functioned well for many decades, several decades. And um, all you need to look at is what you mentioned at the beginning of your show. We have a waiting list of about 104,000 people. Uh, and yet there is study after study after study that says we could have many more organs for those 104,000 people and we could reduce that waiting list markedly. Number one, the OPO, some of the OPOs are very bad at picking up organs. They just simply don't do their job. And UNOS uh, has really done nothing about that. And the federal government, DMS, has never decertified a single OPO in the history 
of organ transplantation in the United States. Number two, surgeons are very picky about the organs that they will transplant. They are judged on the one-year survival of their patients, and obviously that creates an incentive for them to get the best organ uh, that they possibly can, let alone the fact that the best organ is going to keep the person alive, um, possibly for longer. So that is another issue. Third, the technology is terrible. UNOS has never upgraded it. And this is a, an area of medicine uh, that has to operate 24-7 with precision technology, with second-to-second -second decisions being made. And uh, the system has simply gotten old and creaky. And according to a very reputable government organization that reviewed it, it needs to be completely overhauled. So those are three major things to know about the system uh, that the government is embarking on uh, improving. And we're coming up on a break, but just quickly, how is the government trying to improve it? What is this new law that was just signed? Yes, uh, uh, there are two things going on simultaneously that your listeners really should be aware of. Number one, a, a new law will allow uh, HRSA, another government agency, to overhaul the system by bringing in other agencies besides UNOS to run it. They are going to have a competitive bid for the first, well, not for the first time, but they're going to competitively bid uh, this um, this system and bring in both for-profit and non-profit organizations uh, in the hopes of running it. And secondly, the OPOs themselves are going to be held to account um, so that the worst ones will lose their contracts to collect organs. Hmm. We're learning about our organ transplant system with Lenny Bernstein of The Washington Post and Dr. Harish Mahanti of Sutter Health. And we'll have more after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with Lenny Bernstein, Washington Post reporter covering health and medicine, and Dr. Harish Mahanti, a surgical director of kidney transplant at Sutter Health, about California's organ transplant system, some of its challenges, some of the hope that is coming with a new federal law. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What would you like to know about our organ transplant system? Do you have any personal experience with organ donation? Have you been a recipient? Or perhaps you are on the waiting list. How has your experience of organ donation or your involvement related to it impacted 
you. Maybe you've opted out of being an organ donor. Why? We'd like to know. You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, that number is 866-733-6786. I want to bring into the conversation now Michael Pasco and Chris Netherton. Michael Pasco is a liver transplant recipient. Michael, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, good morning. And Chris Netherton is a heart and kidney transplant recipient. Chris, glad to have you as well. Thank you. So, so Michael, I want to start with you. You had a liver transplant. First, take us back. Tell us about when you first learned you needed a transplant and were put on the wait list. Well, I found out that uh, I had cirrhosis of liver back in 2014. And I was already too late to be helped at that point and was pushed over to the UCSF liver transplant program. And uh, tell me, you were placed at the top of the list. Why? I think what people have to understand is it's based on something called MELD score. And the higher your score is, is the higher chance of getting the liver transplant. And so your liver was in pretty bad shape, basically. Yeah, it progressively got worse over a year. I actually was on the list for about one year before I received my liver transplant in 2015. And um, I just wished I probably would have done more preventative stuff um, prior to it, having Can looked I, back. You wish you had done more preventative stuff, you mean for your liver prior to it? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, if people would... Uh, do normal checkups, and if you're experiencing any kind of stomach issues or reflux issues, it's kind of something that you should have checked out right away. I see. So you had signs that maybe there was something wrong with your liver, um, but weren't really sure and didn't really go in to have it checked out, weren't really sure how severe they were. Um, It sounds like, I mean, I think I remember from the pre-interview notes that our producer Mark provided me that you really, you're we're not a drinker, not a smoker, but you had some significant cirrhosis of the liver or fatty liver. Is that right? That's correct. I think uh, I never heard of fatty liver um, before it was too late. And um, I think, like I said, if you were to get checked out, if you were experiencing any kind of symptoms having to do with your stomach or, uh, or gastro issues, I think you should definitely get it checked out. Um, and I think it can be helped if caught early. Yeah. Can I ask you what it was like being on the wait list for that year? Was it just like a constant? Uh, yeah. Tell you, it's, it's really tough on, on my family. Um, there's a lot of times where you're promised that you're second on the list for a liver uh, or for a, a, a liver and just getting turned down when you think that you might be getting it is, is, is really hard. Um, and when it finally happens, you just, it's just, a miracle type thing. Well, Chris Netherton, let me ask you, what was your experience? What were you needing? I mean, a heart and kidney, both. Why? Uh, well, my my heart was uh, basically beating at 19%. And um, the difference was the right side of my heart was not functioning correctly. And um, my... Uh, kidneys were doing bad due to the fact I had out of control um, diabetes for a long time, which is my fault. And, um, and I did some, some drinking when I, when I, for a while there. And so as COVID hit, 
um, I actually uh, stopped drinking. And then when the doctor told me I needed to uh, stop due to the fact to be a recipient of the transplant, I obviously had stopped before that, but I was definitely hadn't had a drink since then. So, <laughs> I understand that you had to wait about a month, right? That is correct. I was, due to the fact my heart was not doing well at all, that, that moved me up on the list. Um, the doctors also had to um, uh, put in a balloon to help the to help my heart uh, pump. So that moved me up on the list. And on December 11th, it, about that was on a Saturday night uh, when I was in Stanford. There was a they were having a big storm, and um, they uh, had had to cancel my kidney and my heart due to the fact that uh, all flights were uh, grounded. So after that happened, I was kind of disappointed. They said it was probably going to happen, but, you know, you get your hopes up. But uh, the doctor came in and says, well, there's some good news about that. That tells, that tells us that uh, we are, you know, that you are first on the list. So basically, um, that that told me I was first on the list. That there's nobody ahead of me. Basically, they had to be on life support to be ahead of me. So that's how I lucked out. Yeah, you lucked out, though. I imagine you know it's hard to know when it will be available, and then the additional lack of control over what the weather is going to be. I imagine must have been incredibly stressful for you. Um, Though, is a month relatively rare in your case, or was that actually a pretty long wait in your condition? Um, it's, I couldn't tell you. I mean, there's, a, there's other ways that uh, they can prolong it um, to, to help you. Um, if the left side of my heart was not working compared to my right, uh, they could install an LVAD, and that would help your heart pump and can make it um, survive longer until a, a transplant comes available or until a heart comes available. So tell me, after you had your procedure, what was your recovery like, Chris? Um, I was very lucky. I had, uh, I was basically, had my heart transplant December 13th and the kidney transplant on the 14th. And I was actually back home by April 7th, back, back home in Sacramento. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Um, Michael, similar question to you after you got your liver transplant. What was recovery like? What has it been like for you? It was definitely a change that I had to make. And um, with the help of my family and friends, um, it's probably the only way I would have got through that. Yeah, it was rough, huh? Oh, definitely. I think there's a, uh, once you have a transplant, you feel like you're getting a new lease on life and you want to make sure you're doing everything right. And so it's a big adjustment uh, diet wise and all that. But uh, the fact that I'm still here almost 10 years later um, makes me feel like I did the right thing. Did they give you any background information about who your donor was? Michael? You know what? They did. 
they did give me uh, information. Um, I feel like I want to reach out to that family. Huh. Uh, at the same time, I don't want to stir up any bad memories for them as well. I'm just very thankful that that person was able to give me their liver. Yeah. Do you ever think about who your donor was, Chris? Did you ever get any information about your donor? The only information I got was their age. Um, that was the only information I got. Um, we were able to uh, send an anonymous letter uh, to the family at six months. So we're in the process of getting ready to send that letter to the family. Do you mind sharing just what the general sentiment was of your letter, what you wanted to share with the family? Um, well, it has to be anonymous. So um, it's at the family's discretion if they want to contact us. I see. Um, well, tell me, Chris, what do you wish you had known before, you know, before starting this process of being part of organ transplantation and so on? What is something that you feel like would have helped you through it all? Well, uh, basically it was myself and doing a life change. Um, having out of, out of control diabetes was my fault. And like the other caller said, uh, I have a new lease on life. So it's a matter of trying to do everything uh, as good as possible. Yeah. How about you, Michael? Yeah. You know what? Um, I think those changes are really tough to make. And um, it's not always easy. And you try to tell yourself that you have to do these things and how fortunate you are to be able to get the second chance. Yeah, Michael, I, I think you've said you're not a religious person, but it felt like you had a religious experience during the process. What do you mean by that? What was the experience? Well, you know, when you're waiting for transplant, you never know when it's going to come. And I just remember the morning of transplant, looking out and seeing a very weird picture out in the horizon. And it was something that I'll never forget. And uh, I am not a very religious person. But that day, I did see a sign that kind of told me that everything was going to be okay. And it turned out that evening that I was able to get my transplant and uh, it was just uh, something I'll never forget. Wow. Well, Michael, I'm, I'm so glad you came on to share your story with us today. It really means a lot. Thank you so much. Michael Pasco is a liver transplant recipient. Chris, also really appreciate hearing about your experience with your heart and kidney transplant. Thank you very much. It was great to be on. Chris Netherton, also a transit recipient, Californians. We are also talking with Dr. Harish Mahanti, the Surgical Director of Kidney Transplant at Sutter Health, and Lenny Bernstein, Washington Post reporter who covers health and medicine about the organ transplant system. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and comments. Again, that number, 866-733-6786. You can also post on our social channels at KQED Forum. You can email forum at kqed.org. 
And Grace writes, I will donate blood, but I am afraid to donate organs. I know the importance, but back in the mid-90s, my mother went into cardiac arrest and lapsed into a coma. She was put on life support, and the doctors determined she would not recover. Since she had been deprived of oxygen, we were told her organs wouldn't be suitable for donation. She was removed from the ventilator, and she started breathing on her own. After eight weeks in a coma, she woke up. Those organs that weren't deemed viable kept her alive for another 19 years. Other than short-term memory losses, she made a miraculous recovery. Had those organs been harvested, her life would have ended prematurely. I'm afraid to give up organs that I might need to stay alive. Dr. Mahanti, I'm curious if Grace's experience is extremely rare or something that happens more than people might think. I mean, I think, you know, obviously it does happen. Um, But I think that the situation in the medical community would have, you know, they would have vetted you know, those issues. I'm not sure if um, they were pursuing organ transplant um, or, um, you know, terminating or, 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 you know, having uh, a discussion about end-of-life care. Um, So those are two different situations. So now, um, you know, we do make sure patients are um, either brain dead or um, if they're not brain dead, um, they have to have cardiopulmonary arrest before any organs can be um, procured. Um, so I, I think that it, obviously it does happen in, in situations where um, somebody's uh, somebody has been um, deemed not to be able to survive. Um, and, and do, but I think that is extremely uh, a rare uh, situation. You know, another thing that I've heard that keeps people from donating that's actually been cited by organizations is that um, is the belief that that a hospital or a doctor will not work as hard to save you if they see that you are an organ donor. What is your response, or how would you dispel that myth, Dr. Mahanti? So I, I think early in transplant, um, the doctors that were uh, involved in saving somebody's life or uh, h- helping them uh, were also uh, involved with the donation process, which um, has changed drastically. Um, so there is no conflict of interest at this point because you have organ procurement organizations now that take over that role of, um, you know, placement of organs and end of life uh, care of those patients and their families um, so that the physicians and caregivers that were in the hospital prior are no longer responsible for that care. Um, And they are recused of all of of those uh, responsibilities. So early on, maybe that was a possible uh, scenario, but I can, I can let the, the listeners know that nowadays um, that is not the case. Well, Leslie writes, six years ago, my husband, Lauren, learned he had chronic kidney disease. He was at stage four of the disease. A dear and extraordinarily generous friend of mine, Pat, who was 74 at the time, offered to donate her kidney to Lauren. We found out that a match would indeed be unlikely with her. Months later, Lauren was at peace with his decision and was in stage five. Then the call came in informing us a donor had appeared, one whose kidneys matched Lauren's perfectly. 
Caroline, the donor, was 30 years old at the time and clearly extremely generous. While Pat and Caroline now have one kidney, Lauren has three, as the original kidneys are traditionally not removed. They do, however, atrophy in time. Along with Lauren, I am forever grateful to the two generous donors and to the CPMC transplant team. In 2018, the nephrology unit celebrated its 7,000th kidney transplant, with Lauren being that most fortunate recipient. Another listener tweets, Dr. Mahanti performed my simultaneous pancreas and kidney transplant in 2018. My first chance to live without brittle diabetes in 40 years. I have done everything possible to honor my donor's legacy. We're talking about organ donation and hearing from you, our listeners. Do you have a personal experience with organ donation? Have you been a recipient, a donor? Are you on the wait list? What has your experience been like? Have you opted not to be an organ donor? Why? You can tell us and ask your questions to Dr. Harish Mahanti, Surgical Director of Kidney Transplant at Sutter Health, and Lenny Bernstein, who's been covering this for the Washington Post for a long time, and also your questions about our organ transplant system. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Tim writes, I'm a regular listener on the East Coast. I've had a kidney transplant for almost 18 years after a distant cousin donated. We are both doing great. More on organ donation after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Everything's going to be all right. Got a brand new, got a brand new, got a brand new. Lease on life. Everything's going to be all right. When I look into your eyes. Got a brand new, got a brand new, got a brand new. Lease on life. Took my soul down to the water. Mama, I came back a different man. Long as we got one another singing. Got a brand new lease on life. Took my This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the organ transplant system, hearing from those who have had to navigate it, and going over a new law that hopes to modernize some of the challenges that the organ transplant system has had with Lenny Bernstein of the Washington Post and Dr. Harish Mahanti of Sutter Health. And you are listeners. Let me go to Peter in Oakland. Peter, you're on. Hello. Hello. Go right ahead. Hello. Uh, 
I, uh, <clears throat> I'm 61. I had my heart replaced um, in 28 months ago. Um, and last month, my wife and I went to Oahu and did the Honolulu Century on our road bikes. Oh, wow. So you're doing great, and huh? Was, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Um, and I had my procedure done in Stanford. Um, the uh, <clears throat> the weight to get a, a, a heart for me was interesting. Um, my blood type allows me to get parts from any um so that that was good for me but uh um as i was white had a, a crack hmm. and so i i re- refrained from going on oh peter i'm so sorry i think your connection is going out on us but um let me just say that i'm just so happy to hear that your heart has just been doing great and enabled you to do that century bike ride in Oahu. Uh, let me go to Patricia next in Portland. Hi, Patricia, you're on. Hello. What would you like to share? Huh. Um, well, uh, I am a kidney donor. Um, I donated six years ago um, to a coworker. Wow. And what made you do that? Um, well, I'm, uh, a rare, um, I'm O negative. So I've always donated blood because pretty much anybody can use my blood. So I've always been giving that way. And then when he mentioned he needed a kidney, I thought wrongly or rightly, I don't know that maybe I'd be a good potential match for a kidney uh, organ since I'm a universal donor in the blood. So, um, and I've just kind of been grew up that give what you can help where you can. And I knew that I could live perfectly fine with one kidney. So I did. Yeah, and I do. It, it, for anyone who's on the fence about doing something like that, what would you say, Patricia, about your own experience? Um, I had a textbook experience. I mean, I know some people have, you know, it's always surgery, so it's a big thing. But um, I'm part of a group who encourages living donation, and every member, everybody I've ever talked to who's donated a kidney, has said they would do it again in a heartbeat, and I would. It was. Mm. I had never been in the hospital. I'd never had any surgery. Uh, this is a first for me. Um, I had donated on Tuesday morning. I was home Friday morning. And, uh, yeah, never looked well, back. Well, Patricia, thanks for sharing your story as well. Really gl- great to have you call in. Yeah. You one know, thing, one yeah, thing, go can ahead. I mention, can I mention one, one Please. thing? Um, I'm part of the, one of the group. One of the things I think with people um, – with donating organs, they're like, oh, I've checked that little box on my driver's license. And in that instance, it's a wonderful thing, but in order to donate things like kidney and heart, et cetera, you actually need to basically pass in a medical setting or on medical supports. Um, so like if you pass at a car accident on scene or something like that, your organs like your heart and kidney and stuff like that cannot be used. So if you're, that's a lot of people don't realize that and they think, oh yeah, sure, they can have that you know, that way. So it's just one thing I like to put out there. Yeah, Patricia, thanks for putting that out there. And Lenny, that's something that you reported on, right? Like, that's part of the reason that it's a relatively small number for major organs like that. It's somebody who's on a ventilator, typically, right? Yes, um, we reported on this five or six years ago. And uh, I think uh, your listeners would be very surprised to learn uh, that it's probably one or two percent of deaths in the United States that qualify 
for organ donation. Um, and uh, so, it, you know, uh, the, the, the top killers of Americans are cancer and heart disease. Generally, those folks are uh, out of the picture in terms of donation. Um, you, if, uh, used to be they couldn't donate uh, hep if you had hepatitis C for any reason, although that is now a curable disease. So there are uh, hep C organs being donated. Um, but typically, you'll see organs coming from opioid overdoses, car accidents, gunshot wounds, uh, where the brain is, um, where the person is, is brain dead, uh, deceased for that reason, but the organs uh, continue to be perfused with blood because they were able to get them to the hospital and the lungs perfused with oxygen. So can I ask you this? I saw the stats, of course, that every day people are added to the wait list, but also every day on average about 17 or 18 people on that national wait list die while they're waiting to receive a life-saving organ. So is the problem the gulf between the demand and the number of donations, and we just need a lot more donors, or is it more just the conditions that are required to be able to actually donate the organ? Um, it is, at its very essence, the shortage of organs. There are many, many reasons for that shortage, uh, some of which we've gone over here today. Um, but you are dealing with a commodity, a life-saving commodity that is in scarcity. Um, so, you know, like water in California or, you know, Taylor Swift tickets, somebody is, most people are, are not going to get what they want. Uh, and generally it is the folks who can pay for it the best who are going to get what they need. Let me give you a quick example. If you're on Medicaid, if you are poor enough to be on Medicaid, you can only register in your home state for uh, an organ transplant. If you are affluent enough to have your own health insurance, you can register at hospitals all over uh, the area near you, and as long as you can get there in time to get the transplant. So the classic example of this was Steve Jobs, who got his liver, I believe, in Tennessee, though he lived in the Bay Area. Um, because he had a private jet and he could get there or he could move there in time to, to get an organ. So we have a very scarce commodity and many, many, many people who want it. 80%, as I understand it, or near 80%, at least of those on Californians, California's organ waitlist are people of color. Is there some connection to this in terms of access, Lenny? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, of course. Um, uh, black and brown people tend to be poorer in this in this country, um, and so they they also tend to have uh, uh, worse medical care. Uh, so often they don't even see the specialists uh, that um, would put them on the list for these organs. Uh, I, maybe I should not say often, but uh, less often than affluent white people. So they don't even get listed. Then when they get listed, they, uh, again, if they're on Medicaid, if they're uh, poor enough to be on Medicaid, they really only have the hospitals in their state um, to, to give them the organs. Um, Follow-up care is another issue that perhaps Dr. Mahanti uh, could talk about. I'm not, I'm not really familiar with that. But, yes, yeah. that is uh, intimately connected. 
Well, Dr. Mahanti, this listener wants to know what options do undocumented immigrants living in California have for organ transplants? My mom is an undocumented immigrant and has kidney issues. She has been told that due to her citizenship status, she has little to no chance of getting a kidney transplant if and when the time comes. Can any of my family members or I donate our kidney to her? What are our rights? Dr. Mahanti, any thoughts? Dr. Mahanti, are you there? Well, while we wait to regain that connection, Gabe writes, I'm at UCSF after receiving my second donor kidney transplant. What great timing for this show. Hearing these stories from your guests makes me feel so fortunate to have only needed a kidney. I am so thankful to all organ donors. It truly is the gift of life that the donors give. My life will be changed drastically for the better with this transplant and allow me to run around with my son, travel to visit family, and keep working a job that I love. Thank you to the donors. What a blessing. And Dr. Mahanti, are you there? Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. I um, wonder if you heard the question of what options do undocumented immigrants living in California have for organ transplants? This listener's mom is an undocumented immigrant and has kidney issues and was told that she has no chance of getting a kidney transplant if and when the time comes. And they're wondering if a family member does it, donates, you know, is that the option? What are their rights? There are options for uh, such individuals, and I do know that we have um, we have been able to transplant undocumented uh, patients. Um, so I would have to go through that that process and talk to our uh, financial uh, people about it. But that is an there is an avenue for them. Mm-hmm. Is a short. Another listener wants to know, I used to be an organ donor until I became HIV positive. Is there any progress that might allow more HIV positive people to donate their organs? Do you know, Dr. Mahanti? Yes. So the HOPE uh, program is designed specifically for that um, in order to uh, have donors uh, that have HIV uh, donate to patients who have HIV. So there are programs around the country for that. Absolutely. And uh, Dr. Mohanty, another listener wants to know, I read that California has moved from being an organ donation opt-in to an organ donation opt-out. And yet when I contacted the California Organ Donation Registry, they told me this was not true. Can you clarify this, please? There has been some confusion around this. So my understanding is that if you do nothing, like you've never said that you um, wanted to be an organ donor, didn't put it on your DMV um, application or when you got your license and so on, that... If you do die in a hospital and are and it's possible um, for them to be able to harvest your organs, that basically it, it will fall to your next of kin or someone that you've designated to make that determination for you. Right. So, I I think uh, listeners listeners should know we are opt in. Um, that's in the U.S. There in the in Western Europe there is an opt out option. Um, but in the United States, it is opt-in. And so patients who have had first-person consent, that that would be their wishes, and um, patients would be then moved towards procurement. Um, patients who don't have um, any designation on their driver's license, the procurement organizations do a their due diligence to find next of kin or somebody related uh, to the deceased um, before anything progresses. I see. Um, And 
you can be very clear about what organs and so on if you register and respond to forms on the state's registry system, right? You can say which organs you would like to have donated. I'm actually not aware of that uh, specific specificity. I actually haven't not gone on to the um, donation website um, to check that, and I probably should um, after this program. But <laughs> my understanding is that once you opt in, you are an organ donor uh, for all organs that are eligible. But again, let me I would have to take a look myself before I would make that a statement. Sure. And your family could not supersede your wishes if you were that clear and, you know, specific. If you, right. If you opt in by law, um, we don't have to, the, the donor network does not have to listen to family, but in practice they do. Huh, they do, they do, they, they have a conversation knowing that they will move forward, but they do want a, you know, consensus and closure for the family. So, you know, in this whole process, it is closure for the donor's family as well. And we do want to make sure that that is not lost. Well, this listener writes, if human transplants don't work, what about kidneys from horses or those who have died or kidneys from pigs? If that doesn't work, what about an artificial kidney? Is there even such a thing? Can you talk a little bit, Dr. Mahanti, about some of the innovation um, in your uh, in your field right now with right. organs from animals? Yeah. So um, uh, bioartificial kidney um, is in development at UCSF. There are probably about four to five years from any sort of clinical trial. So it is not in, uh, um, it is not available currently. Now, xenotransplant, as you've alluded to uh, in terms of organs from other species, um, pigs specifically, um, that the science has borne out that that is potentially something that is uh, possibly going to have traction in the near future. Um, again, uh, there have been studies, uh, there has been one transplant that has been completed um, and the study design uh, was uh, to explant that transplanted organ after 60 days. Um, the organ worked beautifully um, and so the science is there. Now it's a matter of getting the public behind it. Well, let me remind listeners, you're listening to Forum. I mean, Akim. Let me go to Scout in Inverness. Scout, you're on. Good morning. Um, uh, I'd like to start by saying I'm so pleased to hear this program because of donors that are needed. As was stated before, only about 1% of people who have the little pink dot actually end up becoming donors. Um, I had a bilateral lung transplant 10 years ago at UCSF. Wow. And I, earlier you were talking about spirituality. I ended up on ECMO um, and I was on life support and I had the whole blue sky, white cloud experience, but um, I had a, heard a very strong voice say, stay. And then I woke up. Wow. Wow, Scout. Well, I'm so extraordinary. Extraordinary and extraordinary that you are calling us to tell us this story, given what you just described. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for doing this program oh. because donors are really needed, especially um, especially organs like lungs that are very difficult to um, to uh, procure. Well, 
Lenny, let me ask you, we were talking earlier about the new law and about how it's supposed to sort of break up all the different parts of the organ transplantation network process, the procurement process, and so on. So where are we at in that? Has the contract gone up for, for bidding yet? Is, is you know still the main entity that is operating it, but this transition is happening? Just kind of give us a sense of the status. Sure. I, I, I'd like to, uh, I'm happy to answer that. I just want to mention one thing that hasn't come up because it sounds like you have a very sizable listenership, which is that live donation can occur with livers as well, not just kidneys. So uh, you can donate a lobe of your liver to uh, someone with whom you match. And uh, that is increasingly a way to address the shortage of that organ. Mm. Uh, It grows back. It grows back. So yes, that's right. That's right. Thank you. I just want, I just want people to know that. Um, the process is uh, continuing. Uh, the government is getting ready to put out some contracts. They will probably be tradi- uh, transitional contracts, not the actual permanent ones. Uh, they need to solicit bids from groups that are interested. Um, everybody's mostly, most everyone's focus is on the technology. Yeah. Um, this is where UNOS appears to have been most flawed. And so what the government is hoping is that some company will bid to take over the technology and improve it drastically. Um, You know, it would be wonderful if somebody like Google wanted it, but it's a pretty small contract. So (laughs) perhaps a different kind of technology company. And then uh, everyone expects UNOS to bid on some of it. Uh, and we're just going to have to see how that unfolds. Yeah. Well, Dr. Mahadev, we just have 10 seconds, but I'm curious how confident you are that this will be a change for the better for our organ transplant system. I'm not completely sure if it will, but I, I do think that um, improving the system is always a good thing. <laughs> Dr. Harish Mahanti of Sutter Health, thank you so much. Surgical Director of Kidney Transplant, Lenny Bernstein of The Washington Post. Thank you as well. My thanks to Chris and Michael and to all our listeners for sharing their experiences and to Mark Nieto for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. 
We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.